You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hey, hey, welcome. <laughs> there we are. We are at Orient. Orient Campus. Welcome to the Orient Campus. We are so glad line. that you have joined us today. I'm Sam. I'm Kim. This is Kim. We got some really cool stuff happening here at the campus we this do. week. We do. We do. Tell them about Wednesday. So Wednesday night is our midweek service, and we're heading into November. Can you yes. believe it's November? I can't believe it's November. Man, like Thanksgiving is going to be here, so we are focusing on gratitude on Wednesday night. We are going to do our thing. We are going to have pizza at 6.30, yeah. service at 7. Come and be with us. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome what? night. Birth through yeah. fifth, right? Birth <laughs> No, birth, birth through, through, through five. Birth through five. Birth through you five. got it. Yeah. Birth through and five. And older kids come on in there with us. They do. Short little Devo, tons of worship. It's going to be great. Awesome also, night. Friday night, we have our date night here at Orion. Yep. Full child care, birth to fifth grade, so all the kiddos. Yep, all but the come kids. Come hang out with that. My wife and I are emceeing. It's going to be an awesome time. Yes. Great, great time to meet other couples. His wife is fantastic. She I is. mean, he's kind of. Eh, yeah. But Amber's going to crush yeah, it. I'm like you guys a solid are love C minus. She's an A plus. A plus. Yeah. All yeah. the way, A plus. Yeah. D's get degrees. You know? I love it. It is what it is. But hey, we are in Week five of our growing series. Uh, Craig McGlasson is bringing the fire today, yeah, it's right? It's going to be so good, yes. It's a great the service. The 9 o'clock was awesome. It was. Um, but we're so glad you're here. We have so much going on around this place, so check us out online. Yeah. If you have any questions, shoot us a, a message. Yeah. Hey, but we want to see who yeah, you're dressed up like for Halloween. Tomorrow's Halloween. I know. The kids are all dressed up. The leaders are dressed I know. up. I know. Susan's but walking hey, around here hey, like a Hey, wait, we got a pineapple right here. Look, Kira's a pineapple. I mean, there's a pineapple here hanging this out. This is such good stuff. It's perfect. But it's great. Sh- put it in the comments. We want to see what you're yes. dressing up for for Halloween. Yes. So we're so glad you're with us, guys. Yep. Sweet. See ya.
Amen. Church, that sounds great. Let's just continue in our worship this morning.
Good morning, Kensington. My name is Shauna, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. It's hard to believe that in a few days, it will be November. Now, one of the things that I love about November is Thanksgiving. I enjoy cooking the turkey and spending time with family, eating all of those traditional foods smothered in gravy because, well, I think gravy makes everything better. And here at Kensington, we have an opportunity to bring Thanksgiving dinner to families in need from our local school partners. I want to invite you to join us in this nearly three decade long tradition that I personally have loved being a part of, Thanksgiving baskets. Now Thanksgiving baskets, they provide families with everything they need to celebrate the holiday meal. Now, in recent years, we've replaced the actual turkey and all the fixins with a gift card because this allows families to make their own special recipes when celebrating together. So for every $50 donation, one family will receive a Thanksgiving bag packed with paper goods, lots of love, and a gift card. Together, we can all make Thanksgiving special by generously loving our neighbors. So join us, grab some friends, your kids, and come be a part of this special Thanksgiving tradition. You can donate or sign up to deliver the bags by visiting kensingtonchurch.org slash Thanksgiving. And if you call Kensington home and are in need this year, please give our offices a call. Now, I don't know about you, but my dinner table after Thanksgiving is always a big old mess. I mean, it starts out looking really pretty. I mean, the plates and the silverware, they're all perfectly in place, and there's some sort of fall decor in the center of the table. But over the course of the meal, I mean, food is dropped, and bowls lay empty, and gravy is spilled, and things just will end up in utter disarray. But that never bothers me, because the time around the table is not about whether it stays clean, it's about gathering with loved ones and celebrating. And the tables in our lives can be a place of joy, community, shared laughter, and love. But they can also be a place of exclusion. I mean, does anyone remember that feeling of anxiety when you'd enter into the school cafeteria at lunch and wonder, where do I sit? When you think about it, there are so many aspects of our life that happen around a table. And much of what Jesus taught also happened around tables, whether reclining by a table and having a friendly chat with his disciples or breaking bread with them in the upper room. Tables were a significant piece in the life and teachings of Jesus. So imagine with me for just a moment, what if a symbol of our lives was a table? What would it reveal? Is your table a place of welcome? Do you prefer a table for one? Can people come be their messy selves at your table? Is your table a neglected place? Could your table be a space where you serve others and connect with God? Next week, we begin a new four-week series on how Jesus used tables as a place for connection, conversation, and conviction, while we discover what that could mean for us personally. So join us next Sunday for our new series, Table Talks. But first, let's wrap up our current series, Growing, which we are so glad that you are here for today.
Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we feeling today? Doing all right? I know, uh, so there's some Michigan fans in here. They're probably feeling pretty good, huh? Yeah, the Spartan fans probably stayed home in shame, huh? Or are they here? Are we, do we have some Spartan fans? Y'all need Jesus today, don't you? They're here because they need Jesus today. That's what's going on. <laughs> Welcome, man. We are so glad that you guys are with us. My name's Sam. Uh, I'm one of the teaching guys around here. Super excited that you guys are here. If you're joining us online, this is the Orient Campus. Super excited to have you as well. Now, just to throw back a little bit to what Shauna was saying about the Thanksgiving baskets. Here at Orient, we have just a few specific needs for our Thanksgiving basket uh, deliveries. We actually need some drivers so this is an awesome opportunity for your entire family to serve during this Thanksgiving season. Essentially, on Saturday, November 19th, we come here, we rally up, uh, kind of have a, like a vision moment sort of deal, and then we go out and we deliver these, bag, these goodie bags to the families who have signed up to receive the Thanksgiving baskets. So if you'd like to be a driver, you can go to kensingtonchurch.org slash Thanksgiving, or you can visit the hub. If you'd like to donate and be part of, uh, you know, fulfilling the need of these baskets, you can also scan the QR code, go to the website, or talk to the people at the hub, man. This is one of the things that Kensington's done for years, and it's just such a blessing to our community, and so we want to invite you guys to join us in that. Now, we do have one more thing I want to talk about, which was last week, and then I'm going to talk about a few things coming up. Last weekend, we were up at Spring Hill Camp at our wild retreat, which was incredible, right? We had our students up there, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, and guys, it was an absolutely incredible weekend. There were almost 100 students that came just from this campus. Now, all six campuses sent students uh, to the retreat, and it was an awesome time. You're catching some of the video of what happened last weekend. It was great. But this right here, actually, is one of the moments that were captured by one of our students took a picture of this. Um, there were a few different times throughout the weekend that some of our Orion students got together and just had like this spontaneous moments of worship where they busted out an acoustic guitar and started singing songs of worship. I mean, one of them was on top of a hill up by the zip lining. One of them was on Saturday night after our service. Everybody else went out and did like the late night zip lining and everything. And our students kind of huddled up over on the side of the stage and had this worship moment because they wanted to continue to press in. And I, I highlight that because I had the privilege to be there and be part of the weekend. But I noticed a stark difference in our Orion students in the way that they just pursued God so heavily. And they were so intense about following Jesus. And that is just a testament to our leadership of our students. And I know Jesse's in here. I know Lizbeth was in here last service. I don't know that she is this time. But if you see Lizbeth or Je Jesse, give us a little wave over here. Listen, these two are pouring into our students like crazy. And they are loving on them and they are pointing them to Jesus. And it is just so awesome to have them on our team. And it's such a privilege to have them pouring into our students the way that they are. It was really just an incredible thing to see. And so if you have a young person in your life, middle school, high school, get them plugged in with Jesse, visit the hub, get that plugged in because it's a, it's a great way for them to experience Jesus and to experience community. Now, we have two really cool things happening this week at Orion that I want you to be aware of that I wanna invite you to. First one is happening Wednesday night. Everybody say Wednesday night. Say it again. Say Wednesday night. Listen, say, I will be at midweek. Hey, how come not all y'all said that one? What's going on? I know I'm, I'm trying, to make, not trying to make a liar out of you at church, but here's the deal. Wednesday night, we have midweek here. 6.30, we're doing dinner. 7 o'clock, the service starts. And this is our special Thanksgiving midweek. This is where we go through and we sort of share together uh, like an open mic style of what God's been doing and what we're grateful for and what we're thankful for. And last year, it was such a, a, a beautiful evening to share as a faith community. So we're gonna do some worship, uh, share a little Devo, and then we're gonna talk through our gratitude. So I wanna invite you to join us for that. If you have not been to Midweek, it's one of my favorite things we do here at Orion. 
It really is. It's this awesome opportunity for us to press in and to pursue Jesus together and to pursue community together, man. We're eating dinner out in the lobby. It's a great time. Also, Friday night, oh, well, let me get you real quick. At midweek, there's childcare from birth to five years old. The older kids kind of hang out in here with us and worship with us, which is awesome. But birth to five, there's childcare for our midweek. Now, Friday night, we have a date night. Date night, there's childcare from birth to fifth grade. That's all the little kiddos get to get checked into to, to childcare for that. And uh, my wife and I are actually emceeing this event, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna be here having a good time. So if you wanna sign up for that, go to kensingchurch.org slash marriage um, or visit somebody at the hub to be part of both of those things. But guys, listen, here's the deal. There's a lot going on here at Orion. A lot going on in our church. If you're only coming on Sundays and just kind of showing up and like, oh man, yeah, this church is great. You're just barely scratching the surface. We have so many, I mean, even Saturday, there's like a rake and run for the, the elementary and the, the middle school and high school students where they're all going out and serving the community. And there's just so many opportunities with groups and alpha and all the things for you to get plugged in. That is what it means to be part of the faith community. That's what it means to pursue Jesus together. And so I wanna invite you guys, come on Wednesday night, come on Friday night, bring your family out on Saturday. There's all kinds of opportunities for you to connect with each other and ultimately connect with Jesus. Okay, cool? So this is not just announcements, this is opportunity for you guys to get connected. And I wanna invite you guys to do that. So uh, the band is gonna come up and lead us in another song. And as they do that, it's an opportunity for us to sort of posture our hearts and position ourselves to receive from God this morning. You know, Craig's gonna come and he's gonna share in week five of our growing series talking about obeying. And this whole thing has been a process. You know, last week we talked about loving and how the obeying that we're experiencing today comes out of the loving that we talked about last week. So there's a lead-in video that sort of continues the process of this growing journey. And then the band's gonna lead us in a song to posture our hearts. And then Craig's gonna come and bring the message this morning. So check out the screens. And now the plant, leafy and rooted, displays the most beautiful growth yet, the flowering that comes with loving God. The sweet sap of love is running through the plant in bubbling, joyful rivers, and blossoms are bursting forth with color, fragrance, and unmatched beauty. Every twig now adorned and breathtaking.
guys catch it, so much of that song is, it's a dance back and forth between what we're saying we want to do and why we want to do it. I want to bring you glory. I don't want to walk away. I want to sing to you forever. It's all the, all the things we're saying we want to do, but it's all based out of, it's all a response to God's incredible love. It's not a response just to doing things. It's not a response to being religious. It's a response to being enveloped in the overwhelming love that God has for you. Matter of fact, I want you to see the lyrics and how it starts for just a minute. Because, you know, the songs we pick, we pick them for a reason. And there's things sometimes I just want to highlight and make sure we understand that this is the hope that we'll grab out of a moment like this or a song like this. This is how Kaylee began. God of all existence, sovereign with no end. An architect of wonder. From dust you made a man, speaking light from nothing, the universe aglow, shining just to show me, you love me, you love me, you love me. Have you ever thought about creation as an architectural endeavor that God took on to show that he loves you? Like every time he thought of a sunset, he thought, I want this to whisper I love you. Every time you get to sit on the beach and watch the waves roll in and hear him crash on the sand. It's his desire that you would hear them whisper, I love you. Every starry night when you get to look up, so she get out of the city and you're like, dang, look at all those stars. Is God crying out from the heavens even? I want you to hear me, I love you. I did all of this so that you would know I love you. I love you, I love you. Part of what I hope is growing in you in a different way especially if you've been with us throughout the course of this whole series, so five weeks now, today's the last day of it, is a deeper sense of God's love for you. We're talking about spiritually growing, and there's a couple different ways you can approach that. And if you grew up in a church like the one I grew up in, it was, it was mostly a bunch of rules. Like you grew by just doing all the right stuff and not doing all the wrong stuff. There wasn't a sense of love in there. It was just obligation, religion, duty, fear, Part of what I hope is growing for us is we're saying, all right, God, how do we grow spiritually is a sense of the immeasurable depth of not just love, but pleasure and joy and affection that God has for you. That's, I mean, that's the through line for this whole series. I hope we're getting that. I hope that's really, really like growing on us right now. Like everything we're talking about, about how to spiritually grow, the through line, the point of all of it is love. God's love for us and our love back to him that then spills out to love for everybody else as well. Here's one of the interesting things though. That withstanding, you know, one of the things that we have a tendency to do with God is camp so much in the attribute of his love that what we end up doing is dismissing many of his other attributes and characteristics. And what we do is we then tame him into a version that's a lot less than who he fully is in all of his complexity. God is not somebody for us to easily understand and comprehend, and yet so often I wonder if Jesus was to stand right in front of me right now, I wonder if he would look like himself or more like me. Like sometimes I think the version I've created in my head of him is more me. Like what would he look like if he stood here and talked to me right now? It'd probably be very different than I have conjured up in my head sometimes because the easy thing to do is make God look a lot like us. And we end up stripping away so much of the complexity of who he is. For example, we can cling so tightly to the fact that God is love, he is loving, he loves you, that what we do is we dismiss other things about him. Equally as true like the fact that he is the supreme authority over all of heaven and earth. 
We can dismiss while we cling to his love the fact that he is also a jealous God. We can dismiss characteristics and attributes and displays of his beyond just love, like his righteousness, his anger, his judgment, his wrath. There are aspects of God that we so often and so easily kind of push to the side and we cling only to the few and particularly to love and we just, we create this version of him that isn't entirely who he is because the true version of who God is is very complex. And to our minds, honestly, very confusing at times. There are aspects of him that are incredibly knowable and aspects that are not. That's why forever, one of my favorite verses has been Jeremiah 33, 3. God says, cry out to me and I will answer you and I will answer you with great and unsearchable things that you do not know. He's saying, listen, if you cry out to me, I want to talk, I want to respond, and I will. And when I do, it will be with things that you don't fully understand. So I will speak, but I'll speak with mystery. There's just a reality that God is so much larger than our minds. It says in the scriptures, his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts, and yet sometimes we take him and we tame him down into this simpler, smaller, inaccurate version of who he is when we only camp on one or a few of his attributes instead of trying to realize he is so much more complex than that. One of the places in the scripture that probably gives some of the more complex descriptions of God in all of his array is found in the book of Revelations in many places. Chapter 19 gives one of the ones that I've always been drawn to. Verse 19, sorry, verse 11 of chapter 19 says this. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule over them with an iron scepter. He treads like the winepress of fury on the wrath of the Almighty. His robe and on his thigh is written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our God is a loving God. But the same Bible that describes God as the God who sings over us like a tender father, Zephaniah 3.17 in the Old Testament, it's also the same book that describes God as we just read, as a fierce warrior who judges the nations, who pulls swords out of his mouth, who has inscribed on his very thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. It is the same God who commands and controls legions of armies of angels. The same God who is presently being worshiped by creatures that you and I wouldn't even know how to describe because we've never seen them. They don't exist in our realm, but they worship him day and night. That is the same God that the scripture says is also loving and tender and compassionate and gracious. He is so much more complex than we have a tendency to make him. And my concern in that and why I bring it up is because as we lean into this last aspect of spiritually growing, which is obedience today, I think if we don't get that God is so much more complex than we tend to make him, this will be the week that we will struggle the most to respond to and say yes to as we grow. So I just want to pray that God will give wisdom that I don't have, that he does, that we, I think, all need to hear from him and see what it is he has for us today. So let me pray. Father, King Jesus, Lord, we just come to you and I admit right now my own just shaky mind, the distraction in my own head and heart. Uh, it's been a busy week. 
And there's a lot to get done this next week. And I'm even finding myself this morning and even now just distracted with all of it. And so God, I pray, probably aware that I'm not the only one in the room that that's the case for, that whatever would stand in the way of us being more deeply captivated by your love, your glory, your magnitude, your lordship, then I pray that you would remove it out of the way. Not so that we would just understand something about you, but so that we would experience something different with you. Thank you that you are the God of love, but thank you that you are also the Lord of all creation. And so I pray this morning that your voice would come through, come through the pages of this book, that you would use me however you would choose to, but that I would, in all I say, I would honor you, Jesus. I would honor the scriptures that you've given us. And I pray that you would just mold our hearts into something receptive for the next few minutes to receive from you what it is we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys ready to go? Bring this to a close. All right. A couple things before we dive in, one of which is I was informed that uh, apparently we are the only lame campus whose staff didn't all dress up uh, for Halloween this year. You got Susan running around like a gnome. I know some of you, I I think I walked in behind two unicorns. Not sure where you are, pretty sure I walked in behind you. So some of you got the memo, rest of us apparently did not. I tried to talk Sam into dressing up, he completely refused, would not do it. Uh, So I did think, you know what, not dressing up, but here's what I did for you. I wore my Freddy Krueger sweater, so there's that. And then I did think for a little fun, um, somebody sent this to me this last week. Uh, Apparently this is a comparison that gets made between me and uh, whatever his real name is. So if I were to dress up, that's probably the direction I'm going. So maybe next Halloween, shazam, it's my day job. So we can take it down now, that's long enough, it's good. That that really wasn't the best picture you could have put up there, but that's all right, could have used a different headshot, but it's good. Um, all right, we're going to take up our offering real quick this morning, and I just want to thank you. Uh, I know I do this every week. If you're new, you haven't heard it. If you are not new, you've heard it, but I'll just say this. Thank you so much for your generosity here at Kensington. Uh, so much that God has enabled us to do on a global level and on a local level to serve and love our neighbors, and it's only because of you. And I would just say, those of you that are involved, thank you. Those of you that are not, if you've not joined us yet, Man, I would just invite you into this. Would love to have you be a part of this mission with us uh, to just say, yeah, we, we wanna reach the world with the message of Jesus. We wanna love our neighbors in tangible ways. And this isn't the only way we do it, but this is a big way that we do it. And the reach from your generosity is unbelievable. So as always, thank you for doing that. Um, I, I see the buckets already come down. I missed giving descriptions. So if, if you haven't been a part of this yet, they go down the aisle, they get passed back, they go down again, and then sat on the ground. So Hopefully that makes sense. We'll test you on it later. So, all right, so let's jump into this. We are in a series, we're wrapping up today, on spiritual growth. And the reason is, for all the things in life that we can say, here's how it grows, spiritually is a weird one. Like, how do you grow spiritually? Like, what is it? Is it just a bunch of 
do these things and don't do these things? Does it go to church enough? What's the tipping point? Does it memorize a bunch of Bible verses? Does it have the scale of the good outweigh the bad? Like, how do you spiritually grow? And why? Why spiritually grow? What's the point of it? Is it just some weird religious thing that only matters and has meaning on a Sunday morning when we're all gathered singing songs? Does it have implication outside of it? And so the whole series has been, how do we spiritually grow? Why do we spiritually grow? Because one of the dangers in spiritual growth is we tend to stop where it actually starts. If we put up on the screen, this is the chart that we've used kind of all series long to show you the flow of spiritual growth. But believing in God is usually where we stop the process. Well, I believe, right? So isn't that the point? I believe there is a God. And then from there, I don't know, I guess we just grow somehow. We go to church enough and we do enough stuff and that's where growth comes from. The problem is, is that's not where it stops. That's just where it starts and then everything else grows from there. Keep that up for a minute. Um, like, think about it this way. With my kids, I've got three of them. Can you imagine if my biggest desire for them, my biggest goal for their life, is just simply that they would one day believe that I am, in fact, their father? And then if anybody ever asked them, is that guy your dad? They would enthusiastically, emphatically say, yep, that's my dad. I believe it. And then that's it. Like, I had no hope for their future, no hope for their spouse, no, no goals for relationship between me and them. It's just, I just want you to believe that I'm, in fact, your dad. And maybe, maybe, like, every now and then, if life got really hard, that they would reach out to me so I could help. And that was my only desire. That'd be ridiculous. And yet, for some reason, we tend to think that spiritual growth, it begins and ends with, well, I believe, and that's it. And instead, what we've seen throughout the series is you believe, but then you continue to seek him. Because there's so much more to know about who God is. And then you begin to know him, not just know about him, but know him relationally. And then as all that happens, you find yourself, like any other relationship, falling increasingly in love with him. Because here's the bottom line of God's desire for you and I is not just that we would believe in him, but that our lives would be transformed. The whole point of walking with Jesus, the whole point of spiritual growth is not just to know about God, it is to experience transformation in our lives. And so how do we get there? And how do we continue to take those steps to see that transformation take place? That's what we've been talking about. And so today we're going to wrap up with the one that in some ways is probably not going to be everybody's favorite at first glance, but I do hope to kind of reframe a little bit of this idea of how obedience fits into our spiritual growth, why it's important, how it's important. Uh, although maybe some of you are like, great, of all the weeks, this is the one I could have skipped. I don't need to come to church and be told, obey. But I think this is a critical one that we can't, we can't miss in the journey. Now, let me make a couple of disclaimers before we jump in. First disclaimer is this. If you've not been to any other weeks of the series, please, please, please go back after today and listen to the other four weeks, particularly last week. Last week, we talked specifically about love. What does it mean that God loves us? What should that generate in us? How does that turn love back to him, back to others? I would even encourage you, listen to all of our campuses. This is, this is one of the times where I think being multi-campus, where we have a bunch of lead pastors all teaching instead of one person at every campus is a huge benefit, because you can go listen to six different campuses this last weekend in a little bit of a different way with everybody's personalities sharing, I think, what is so critical for us to understand, which is the love of God for us and our love then back to him. So if, if you haven't been here all series, number one, go back and please listen. Hopefully this isn't your first week. If it is, listen to the rest. Disclaimer number two... Remember that all of us approach issues of rules and obedience with very different personalities, which will lay a set of lenses over how you see what we're going to talk about today, and you need to be aware of that. 
For example, in the room, you're going to be one of probably two categories. You're either a rule keeper or you're a rule breaker. Rule keepers, hands up, show me who you are. And you know who you are because you would not put your hand up because I just told you to. <laughs> rule breakers, where are you? There's a lot more of you in the room, but you're right now, you're like, I'm not raising my hand just because you told me to. Forget you, man. Right? And so here's, here's your natural bent of personality as we talk about rules and obedience and instruction. If you're the rule keeper, you're probably going to approach this with a sense of shame and guilt and I'm failing. Because you're the rule keeper. And you could just never do enough and be good enough. And so the tendency will be to listen to a little voice in your head all morning that goes, you can't do it. You're not good enough. That's not the message today. Know that that's more your bent and push it aside. If you're the rule breaker, you're already doing it to me. You're already like, you don't want to tell me what to do, man. You and your dumb Freddy Krueger shirt. You don't listen to nothing you say. Put that guy back up here that was up here a minute ago. He was funny. Right? And so you're going you're gonna to have that bend towards, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I just want to remind you again, part of that's your personality. Do what you can to push it aside, because if God is who he says he is, then he's not here to just cramp your lifestyle. He's actually here to enrich it. And all of his instructions are to that end. So what I want to do is I want to begin where the whole series really began. And what is the foundation for us? Which is the idea that everything God has done for us is what ultimately creates our response back to him. So, why do we obey? That's the question. If you go through this circle like we did just a minute ago, you could look through everything on that chart. You know, we, we believe because, I don't want you to miss this, the through line of everything I said is love. We believe because his love has opened up our eyes and our hearts enough to pursue him. We, we seek him because his love invites us. We pursue knowing him relationally, not just knowing about him, because his desire is a loving relationship, not just knowledge. Not just that we would have a bunch of things that we've memorized. And we love him, we saw last week, because he's first loved us. So you see, the through line of everything is love. So why do we obey then? I'm going to give you two reasons right now. I'm going to tip my hand, and then we're going to spend the next couple minutes trying to understand both of them. There's two things that should compel from us our obedience to God. Number one, any guesses? I just said it. His love. Good, you're paying attention. Number two. His lordship. Number one is his love for us, and number two is his lordship. So I'm going to go to a place in the Bible called 1 Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends, also one of the people that I think has an authority to write on the subject of God's love for us and our obedience to him, because this is a guy that went back and forth. There were moments he was getting it, he was serving, he was loving Jesus well. Other moments he was off mission, where God had to actually confront him, where Jesus would say to him things like, get behind me, Satan, like you are not about the ways that I'm about right now. There are other moments that he kind of rested in his own pride, and then there are other moments that he rested in the grace of Jesus. Like, he, he gets it. Like, this, this is a guy that has the authority to speak about the nature and the significance of obedience being a part of our journey. And so in the first chapter of his first book, 1 Peter, what he's going to do by the end of it is lay into a, a pretty compelling description of what obedience is and why to obey is what precedes it. So that's where I want to start is when he lays down the foundation of what is so significant that should create from us a surrender to this God that we don't see with our eyes. So here's what Peter does. Chapter 1, verse 1, on your screens. Or in your hands. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the province 
of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be, say the word, obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, for in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice now. For a little while, even though you may have had to suffer all kinds of grief and trial, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ when revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great, great circumstance to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing them when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I love this how he ends. Even angels long to look into these things. So there's a couple of significant things that he says here. I know it was a long read, but it's critical that we understand the foundation, the through line, everything when we talk about a subject like obedience is love. It's God's love for us, which should motivate all of it. And so what Peter does here is really significant before he gets into obedience. For example, a couple things to highlight. Verse two, he says right away to this church then and to us now, he says, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Here's what he doesn't say. You've been chosen by God because you're really good and you've kept all the commandments and you're just a great moral person. And he goes on in verse three and he says, he has given us hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what he doesn't say. He's given you hope because you're so righteous and you just do everything so good because you're better than Dale over there. So that's why you have his hope. He goes on and I love this one. He says, to an inheritance that can never spoil, never perish, never fade. What he doesn't say is, what I've given you is yours as long as you don't screw up. But once you screw up big enough, or once you screw up often enough, then I'm gonna take the inheritance away. No, he says, nope, it's secure. Can't be earned, can't be lost. And then he concludes with, even angels long to look in on these things. So, so here's what he's saying. What God has done in relationship to us through his grace and his mercy that cannot be earned is so mysterious that even the angels right now in heaven are scratching their head a little bit going, I don't completely understand this. I don't get how he relates to them. Like, he didn't do nothing. He did nothing. And he gave them everything. Like, there's an aspect of how God relates to us that even the angelic beings that he created are like, not really sure we understand it. And here's why they don't fully understand it. Because our world doesn't understand it. Because God's kingdom does not operate on the system that our world does, which is the merit system. What God has done to save us, to draw us into relationship, to offer to us forgiveness is done, listen, 
completely, entirely on his effort, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his grace, and has nothing to do with your righteousness. Has nothing to do with how good you and I can be. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that our righteousness, so the word righteousness, like that's your best of your best of your best, is like filthy rags compared to his righteousness. What the problem is and why the angels go, we don't entirely get it, is that God does not work on a merit system, but here's why we get confused as well. Our world doesn't even understand that because our entire way of life operates on a merit system. Everything about life is you get what you deserve, you earn what you work for, you make your bed, you gotta lie in it, nobody's gonna go to jail for you if you mess up, right? That's just the way of life. If you wanna succeed, you gotta pound the pavement, you gotta climb the ladder. Like, you don't get a promotion because your, your, your coworker did a great job. You get it. Like, our entire way of life is built on the merit system. The kingdom of God is not. Jesus does not operate on the merit system. Salvation is not the product of the merit system, of you and I just being good enough and trying harder. Everything God has done to be in relationship with us, everything is done out of his own good effort and grace on the cross, out of the tomb, and being merciful to us. It has nothing to do with how good you and I can be or how much we can work for it. The problem is, because our world operates so much on a merit system, we tend to bring the merit ideology into our Christianity. And what it does is it creates a distorted version of Christianity, which honestly is a false version of Christianity. One where we have to work hard to please God. And so what ends up happening is we relate to God in one of a couple ways. One of which is moralistic deism, which simply means... I believe that the better I can be, the, the, the more good that outweighs the bad on my scale, the better God will be to me. The more he'll love me, the closer we'll be, the more blessing will be in my life. It's moralistic deism. The better I can be, the better things are going to be between God and I. And so if you grew up in a church anything like mine, what you heard your whole life was all the things you had to not do and all the things you had to do. And so for me, my upbringing, it literally rested on the four areas of Christian demotion, and how good you could keep these and not be demoted, and how good you could be praised for not doing them. Those four areas were don't swear, don't drink, don't have sex outside of marriage, and don't watch rated R movies. And that's it. That was like what you were supposed to do. And occasionally, maybe it was like a read your Bible and pray, but don't, don't mess up those other areas. I feel like I was like always like right on the brink of going to hell then, because it was like, I was just messing stuff up. Even as I look, to be honest, on that list of four, like I've kept one of those. Which, if this is how God's system operates, that means I'm maybe at best worthy of like third string JV water boy on God's team. Like, that's all I get. But that's not how God operates. He doesn't use this kind of merit system that you and I tend to operate with. The problem is, it is what many of us have learned. It's what we've understood. It's what we've picked up from around us, from maybe other religious people, other Christians, maybe even from the church that you were at at some point. And so what's happened for so many of us is we have failed to ever truly feel the loving embrace of God's arms around us because we always felt like we had to work harder and we were never good enough. And then sadly, I think many of us, if, if we've grown up that way, if we've bought into that, we've communicated that out to the people around us. That's how we've demonstrated and displayed God. Then there's others of us that you didn't even try. You, you were like, you got wind of that from church at some point and you're like, no thanks, 
I know I can't, so I'm not even going to try. I want nothing to do with God. I want nothing to do with church. For some of you, like, you're still so new to this whole thing that you're surprised you're even tuned in right now or sitting in the room. You're like, every Sunday, I'm like, I can't believe I came to church again. Because there's a point where you're just like, if this is all about being good enough, I'm not even going to bother. I'm not going to come to some place where it's like every week, do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that, let alone to have a bunch of religious people I don't know size me up that I don't live as good as they do. And so you're just like, forget it. So let me be abundantly clear. Again, this is where Peter begins. We do not pursue God based on a merit system to try to achieve and earn his love and grace and mercy and blessing in our life. That is not how God operates at all. How he loves you is 100% out of the overflow of affection he has for you that has nothing to do with how good you have been, has nothing to do with the life you have lived. It is simply and purely because he is love and he adores you. It has nothing to do with your merit. Nothing. You with me on this? Okay. Somebody's wooing in the back. One, One person is really excited with me today. I'll take you. Here's where Peter's going to add to this now. That's where he began, but he adds to it. I said there are two reasons that we should obey God. One is out of love. When you realize how much he loves us, you want to follow him. You want to be responsive to what he says. Do this. I'm inviting you into this way of living. But the other is this, his lordship. The other reason is simply his lordship. Now, here's what Peter says when you jump over to the second part of this chapter. Verse 13. Therefore, this is in direct response to what he just said. Even the angels long to look in on these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, there it is again, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, this is to you and I, in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners herein. This is the reason. What does he say? Say it out loud. In reverent fear. So Peter says, be holy in all that you do. Be obedient children. Why? Out of reverent fear. I think we all know this, but just to be clear, this isn't the like be afraid kind of fear. This isn't like Halloween fear or oh my gosh, I'm terrified fear. This is a fear when Peter writes about that he, what he's saying is out of awe and wonder and respect to him being the God of heaven and earth, that's why you obey him out of a reverent fear. Probably one of my favorite places in the book of Hebrews, we can put this on the screen. So the author of Hebrews would describe this idea of reverent fear. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which again, notice every time the authors write in the scriptures, they, they do this. They remind us what we have, what God has done for us, that then turns into the, so you do this in response. It's always an outpour of what God has done. So therefore, since we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. So he says, here's what he's done. Here's what you do in response. Because remember, here's who he is. Our God is a consuming fire. This is the awe, the wonder. This is the reverent fear. This is his lordship. Now, here's a question. What would move somebody to have such a level of reverent fear that they would be fully obedient to them unless 
that person had full authority. Right? Because the, the more a person's authority grows, so does your response to that authority, right? Like if one of our K kids who's dressed up in some cute little Superman costume came in here today, you're, you're going out in the lobby this afternoon, you stand there, they come up to you, they stand in front of you, hands on hips, and they start commanding what you need to do this next week. Anybody having reverent fear? Like anybody changing or altering your week because a four-year-old in a Superman costume told you to do so? No. What if you go into the office tomorrow morning, though, and your boss gives you something to do? It's probably going to up the ante a little bit, right? You're probably not going to have the same response to the four-year-old. What if, what if the police do? What if the police come knocking at your door later today, and for some reason they tell you, vacate your house? They carry more authority than a four-year-old? The answer is... So should there be a greater response? Yeah. How about the president of the United States? What if he called you this afternoon and he gave you something that you needed to do? You're like, I wish he'd call me. I got some things to say to that guy. <laughs> right? Like what if the president called and he, t- this is a bad one. Never mind. We're going to skip this one. <laughs> Forget the, I don't know why I even used that one. <laughs> Moving on. That is a good call. As the authority goes up, so should the response. Well, let me, let me be clear the authority of Jesus here. Matthew chapter 28. It's the last moment that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes back to eternity. And this is where he gives his final instruction, go into all the world. And this is where we, even as a church, get our whole mission to be those who go, that go for people that don't know the love of God and to serve them and to make known the love of God. Like this is, this place is where we put so much emphasis and give so much attention, but I don't want us to neglect what gives him the authority to tell us what to do. So on your screen, Matthew 28, Jesus with his disciples says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some still doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he tells them, in doing so, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, again, obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you even to the very end of the age. So he says, I'm telling you what to do. I'm instructing you, and as I instruct you, I'm instructing you to go instruct others as well. And all of that hinges on two words. Two words in that verse. Full authority. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go and make disciples. Jesus Christ, time and time again throughout the Bible, makes it abundantly clear he is not a God. He is not godly. He is the God. He is the maker and creator of all things. And by definition, you can't have multiple. There is one apex. There is one at the top. And he is abundantly clear. All, every bit, not an ounce less than every single drop of authority has been given to me for the heavens and for the earth. We do serve him out of love. But we should also serve him out of fear that is in awe and a wonder that he is the full authority over all creation. Now, we don't start with this. Right? We don't lead with this in relationship like, hey, welcome to Kensington. So glad you're here. Obey God. Right? That's, not, that's not how your spiritual journey begins. That's why even obey is at the end of the list. It's no less important than all the other steps, but it doesn't have the same priority of placement. 
That's why it comes last. I mean, think about it as a parent. If you have kids, when your kids are born on day five, you didn't walk into them and go, okay, here's a list of things we're going to need to get done this next week. I'm going to expect you to do these three. If you don't, you're grounded. Got it? Good. And then four days later, you come back and scold and discipline them. I mean, right? You're like, that's a dumb analogy. Exactly. That's why we don't start there spiritually. You don't come into a relationship with God and right off the bat, he's like, here's the book, everything you got to do, and I'm going to give it all to you. No, you don't start that way. But as you begin to grow, as my kids grow up, they were given increasingly more and more knowledge of what it meant to be a part of our family, what mine and my wife Nicole's expectations were. Then there was accountability to those expectations. So that grows over time. It doesn't just happen like that. It grows, and I think spiritually is the same thing. That's why this is significant, but it's also why that's not exactly where we start. Because some of you might be going, man, I have just started this journey, dude. I don't even know exactly what God wants from me. Perfect. Keep growing. And as you do, you're going to learn more and more what he expects, because what he expects is where he offers life. It's not just that he's trying to be the rule, like, hey, I'm God, so you got to do it my way because I'm in charge. No, no, no. I know how life works best. And so my instructions are for your benefit, every single one of them, even the ones that you don't like and that don't make sense. But how do we know what God's instructions are as we continue to grow? Do we just absorb them through the air? Is it just by coming to church every Sunday? It's through several things. But I will give you two that are the most crucial places to know what it is that God expects as we continue to grow and learn how to be responsive obediently to what he expects. Number one is through the instruction of his word. This book. There is, there's a list of values that we have at Kensington that drive who we are, what we do, how we teach, what series we pick. I mean, you name it, they, they influence everything. And one of those values has to do with what we believe to be true about this book. And we just simply say it this way, under scripture. That's the value. We put it on screen, and this is how we describe it. By saying under scripture, what we're saying is we submit to the authoritative, trustworthy, unchanging word of God. If God is God, and he has full authority, and he wrote this book, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. If he is all authority, and he wrote this book, this book is not suggestive. It's not a list of pick and choose, take what you like, dismiss the rest. If he's full authority then if you are a follower of Jesus, then you and I are under the authority of these scriptures. Our thoughts are under the authority of the Bible. Our emotions are under the authority of the Bible. Our feelings are under the authority of the Bible. Our behaviors are under the authority of the Bible. Our actions and reactions should be under the authority of the Bible. I'm convinced that for some of us right now, we are living in a place of pain and difficulty that is the direct result of disobedience to something that God has instructed that is a way of life. And maybe you're feeling it in your marriage, or maybe it's in being a parent, or maybe it's at work, or maybe it's in a friendship, but I'm convinced that there are some of us right now that there is something that is shaking to the core in your life right now, something that is causing you ache, causing you pain, and you've tried to fix it, you've tried to figure it out, and the solution is God saying, you are ignoring some instructions I've given you. And some of us know it. Maybe some of you don't yet. 
And that's the joy of continuing to journey with God is he will unlock those moments to you. He will unlock that mystery to you. But the more you're in this book, the more you pursue him, the more he will be clear. Here is where life is found. Listen, this is not a book of him just trying to give you rules because he's in charge. This is not him going, hey, I'm the boss because I made everything, so just do what I want. This book is a collection of 66 love letters of God saying, I'm inviting you into my way of life because that's where it is rich and deep and satisfying. This isn't meant to just be a good read. If you want a good read, I'll make some suggestions. This is a living, breathing text given to us by God himself through the authorship of 40 individuals across time and space and place where he divinely and supernaturally breathed into the pages of this text what he longs for us to know about him, about us, and about this life. And every time we deviate from it, it steps us not just out of God's will, it steps us into death and destruction. That's why, that's why the scriptures say, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That's why when I approach this book and I find something in here, and it happens, that I don't like and I think needs to change, if he has full authority over heaven and earth, then what I have to conclude in that moment is I'm the one that needs to change, not this book. And the change needs to be a surrender even to what I don't fully understand. Here's the bottom line. His ways work, ours don't. Let me give you one last example and visual of this and how it's true. One of the craziest instructions in all the Bible is found in the Old Testament in a book called Deuteronomy, chapter 23. You put it up. This is an instruction God once gave his people that for generations and generations, that I guarantee they did not understand why. Designate a place outside the camp where you can go to relieve yourself. It's exactly what you think it is. As a part of your equipment, have something to dig with. And when you relieve yourself, dig a hole and cover up your excrement. For the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you. Now, I, I listened to one commentator this last week, always trying to figure out how people describe different ways of the Bible, different places of the Bible. And I read this one commentator. This is literally what he said, is that the reason God says when you go outside and you poop, dig a hole and cover it up, is because he says at the end, for the Lord your God moves around your camp. And so the conclusion of this commentator was God didn't want to step in it. I'm like, really? I'm pretty, he's God. I'm pretty sure he's got this one. He can overstep. Here, here's what we know now because of technology, biology, and science that the Israelites would not have understood them. Because this was a foreign idea. People were just going out in the woods and just right there on the ground. And so it would bleed into water sources. It would create infection and disease. So the go dig a hole thing was a new concept. And here's what we know today that they didn't know. Do you realize the first six to eight inches of topsoil is where you have the highest concentrations of enzymes of bacteria that break down fecal matter into something benign so that it doesn't create disease, doesn't create infection? You know, one of the things we have a tendency to do when we come across God's instructions that we don't like or we don't understand is conclude that we're not responsible to them, we're not accountable to them, and we don't need to obey them. What if Israel would have decided that? Is it possible that if God's instructions are so specific as to how to poop in the woods, that just maybe even the instructions about all the other things and some of which we don't like or understand could be right and true and to your benefit, not just him being a power-hungry creator. God says, listen, I made you and I made this whole thing and I know how it was intended to operate. 
if you would just trust me and know that my love is so deep and affectionate for you that my rules are for your life, my instructions are for your benefit, and if you would just obey them, so much of what is broken would find its mending. What is dying would find life. What is painful would be healed. If you would just trust me, love me, and obey me. We're gonna end with a song right now that is, I love it because it, it's, a, it's a classic one in the church world. And so I went to our group this week and I said, hey, can we, can we do this this week? And I'm like, well, it's, a little, it's, not, it's not on the docket. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. But here's why I wanna do this. this. This whole morning, part of what I want us to grasp as we walk out of here is that our obedience should be out of love, but also out of an awe and wonder at the magnitude of who God is. There's this place in Revelation that tells us this is something presently happening right now around the throne of Jesus, that there are groups of beings and angels that are worshiping him and praising him. Verse six of chapter four. And also I looked out and there was a throne, what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion and the second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man and the fourth like a flying eagle. And each of the living creatures had six wings that was covered with eyes all around and even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying. So if that isn't enough to make you go, what in the world? I mean, there's these bizarre creatures that we couldn't even describe that are camped around the throne of Jesus. And what are they doing? Day and night and day and night, they are singing to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is who was, and who is to come again. Is God loving? He's absolutely loving. Does he love you? With an immeasurable love. But the angels and these beings do not camp around his throne singing lovely, 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 or lovable, lovable, lovable. What they camp singing is what love is derived from. Holy, holy, holy is who? The Lord God Almighty. Our response to him should be out of his love for us and a reverent fear, an awe, a wonder, and a mystery at the majesty that our God is a consuming fire, the creator of all things that should beckon our obedience because he loves us, he made us, and it's all about him. So why do we obey? Out of love and out of lordship. So we're gonna sing a song right now that has that very line in it, holy, holy, holy. And let's... Keep in mind that as we sing it, listen, you are literally gonna sing words that right now, the angels in heaven will be singing at the same time with you. Would you all stand? Let's sing that together, that heavenly angelic song.
part of me hopes you'll never look at a shovel the same way again. And that every time you see one, you will just remember the gentle, life-giving, but certain authority of Jesus' instructions are for our benefit. And you'll know and you'll remember as a result of this series, I pray, is that our God is a God of immeasurable love for you, who is inviting you and I into a life of power and a life of beauty. So let's keep walking the path, continuing to believe, continuing to seek, continuing to grow to know him in a relationship marked by love and obedience to him. As you walk out today, just remember the things we talked about this morning, all kinds of opportunities to get more involved, build relationships from date night to rake and run, sign up for what you need to. We also have a prayer team. Uh, they're gonna be out in the lobby and some of them up here at the front of the stage as well. So if we can just pray for you, serve you, listen to you, have a conversation before you go into your week, that's what we're here to do. So glad you're with us. You are loved. We will see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.